Thanks so much for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study it together, and we apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're nearly done with with this with this letter. We've kind of been uh, going long on this, but uh, we're, we're almost at the end of, of this letter. And it's a fascinating little letter dealing with a very practical, how do we do ministry in, in this type of a context, uh, in a church context. And so it, it's really been neat, informative. I, I've really enjoyed going through this through this letter from Paul to Timothy, a young minister who, who's facing some uh, not-so-ununique uh, challenges in this first-century church. You, you see, the church had developed in... And as the church developed, there was clearly some false teaching that started to, uh, to to grow out of this church. It seems like there were some elders within that church. When you look at, as we're walking through on our in our bold men's group anyway, uh, we're walking through the book of Acts and we see that the apostolic leadership, um, everyone looks to Jerusalem and to the apostles for leadership. But as Acts develops, you see that that shifts away from the apostolic leadership to the local church. Uh, and we see that, of course, throughout Paul's writings, and we see that here. Well, that leadership had shifted to the local church, but there were some elders, it seems, uh, who were uh, what Paul calls false teachers. They they, they were uh, called out by him. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 20, uh, he names two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they might... Uh, be taught not to blaspheme. Uh, they could have been the, the elders that had started the issues here. Uh, either way, Paul has been encouraging Timothy uh, uh, with some instructions on, on how he's to lead as their pastor, uh, as their elder pastor, and how he is to uh, direct and, and and live his life. And, and we see that uh, Timothy's following a tough challenge because they looked to Paul as their leader, at least as one with authority. And now this young man, Timothy, is supposed to be their leader. And so Paul had told them, hey, look, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youthfulness, but instead set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. You know, this is a just a fascinating little book. I've really enjoyed it. And today we get to uh, kind of a, a charge to, to Timothy. You see, verse 11 yesterday, we talked, or not yesterday, uh, Wednesday, we talked quite a bit about this this urgency to flee uh, from from the bad things, flee from sin, flee from heretical teaching, flee from false doctrine, and pursue God. This flee, pursue command that was so uh, 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 well, urgent. There was an urgency to them, and I challenged us to, to live with urgency in our lives. Well, he shifts from that type of an escape, uh, flee, escape uh, type picture uh, to a picture of an athletic event. Fight the good fight. The servant of God must fulfill the calling of ministry. This is a charge that he used uh, several times. Um, he used this in chapter uh, 1, verse 18, and he's using it again here. Uh, Paul has changed the metaphor, however, of from ministry in terms of a military struggle, which we've kind of seen in some less language, to now it's an athletic contest. There's a need for perseverance, for for sustained effort, for training. 
Look, look at this. Uh, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is fascinating here. He says, guys, look, look there is a desire, there's a need for you to fight the good fight and to take hold, look at that, the eternal life to which you were called. See, this kind of points out this, this thing that we often um, overlook. Eternal life is given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But there's still an element of human responsibility because we are called to take hold. It reminds us that there's a real element of human responsibility in salvation, in the, sal- in the salvation process. It also implies the real possibility of success, but also of failure. The cost is great. The Christian leader can arrive at the goal of personal salvation, of eternal life, or not. And so we need to be aware that we're called to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life of which you were called. There's a need for personal responsibility for each of us in this. See, while the athletic imagery here emphasizes the human side it's the prior action of of calling of god's salvation established through jesus that 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 enables you and i for success see in in the text here there's a passive verb here and the passive verb clearly refers to god's call to eternal life but just as we've seen throughout this letter, divine sovereignty does not excuse human responsibility. See, God can be sovereign and we can still not be saved because of our lack of effort, our lack of taking hold. So Timothy has an obligation to participate in his salvation just like you and I. We need to view the Christian faithful living and service as an active thing that we do. There's a responsibility on our part to take hold to that to which you were called. Look at the last part of verse 12. That which you were called, and you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, see, here we have not only taking hold of salvation, but it also shifts attention to, to Timothy's past commitment to God. The, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses re- relates directly to God's calling to eternal life, but it also indicates that there's a time, there's a moment when this uh, was observed or acknowledged by Timothy. There's a moment when this realization occurred for him. In this case, the event would probably be Timothy's baptism or maybe his ordination into service. But he's called to remember, and I think that's such an important thing. When we celebrate baptisms, for example, here at Leesburg, I think it's very important for us to remember and encourage those who we see baptized. 
Because that's kind of, I, I think that's what Paul's referring to here. The good confession which you made in the presence of many witnesses. Now, it could be his ordination service, but whatever it is, it's a, it's a commitment. It, look, it's the same thing with weddings. It's the same thing with weddings. The, the the reason, the biblical reason for witnesses in weddings today, or at least not the biblical reason, but the, the a practical reason for for witnesses in weddings, is not just because you love the couple. It's because you're there and the couple's making vows in the presence of God and one another. And historically, anyway, it was it used to be pointed out in wedding ceremonies, and I try to do that when I do weddings. The importance of the crowd to remind the couple of the of the vows that they exchanged. When when things get tough, we're to remind of the commitment that we've made. Paul's telling Timothy to fight the good fight to take hold. And, and this is grounds uh, for obedience to these these commands as a as a minister. It, it very well could be that when he was ordained, maybe looking to his ordination. Hey, look, remember the 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 the, the promise, the commitment that you made on your ordination. An ordination is is, is when a man is set apart. Uh, and the elders of the church lay hands on on that individual and commission them as a pastor, as a minister, as an elder, as someone who is a leadership and taking a a, a spiritual leadership position in the church. I, I put off my ordination for several years because I wanted to make sure that I was mature and ready for such a thing because it's a big commitment. There, there, there's a there's a a commission of faith, a charge, a vow of 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 commitment that's made when one is ordained. So Paul may have had Timothy's commissioning or ordination in mind here. His his reasoning is that the two commands of verse twelve, take hold, and fight. They they're keeping with the promise of God's selection uh, for for ministry for him, and, and, and so it could be that today the the binding force of, of one's word is often questioned, and you know that to be true. Uh, we we live in a time where we, we don't really uh, take words as seriously as we should, um, but before God, that's not so. A minister's pledge to serve must not be taken lightly, and this is the charge that Paul's giving Timothy. It takes discipline as well as forceful reminders from one's co-workers and from God's Spirit to bring us back to the to to, to our commitments. Look at verse thirteen. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. But Paul says, look, I, I want you to um, take, uh, be aware that I'm charging you, I'm reminding you of the promises you made in the presence of God. See, see Christian services is not something, um, Christian services, 
well, let's, let's go back here. I charge you in the presence of God. Think about the presence of God. The presence of God, for example, throughout the Old Testament, in the presence of God, that would bring uh, uh, fear. The Hebrews in the Old Testament, they were terrified of God's presence, which, as Moses explained, it, keep the, it kept them from, from sinning. But God's presence also meant faithful care, guidance, food, provision, clothing. Think of the Deuteronomy uh, experience. God's presence is there, and, and, and that, that um, uh, caused fear, and it kept them on track, but it also meant that there was protection, provision. The, the description of God as, of, as life giver means the same for Paul's readers here in First Timothy. God's constant presence should spur the Christian to excellent service. But equally, this truth provides encouragement and strength. It should spur Timothy on, being reminded that God is present. So I should work really hard. I should do really good. I should give all that I have. But equally, God will encourage and strengthen and sustain life. And at the same time, Timothy's reminded not only of God's presence, but also of Christ. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, verse 13, and of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is there. He's the ever-present Lord. And this comforting promise of continuing, uh, continual fellowship ought to compel all of us to the best faithfulness that we have. Because Jesus is also our judge. He's here with us, but we understand that there's also a judgment that's coming, and there will be a judgment for us. And so Christian leaders in in difficult situations have often found, and you and I know this to be true, we find encouragement in in Jesus' presence with us. God's called us to participate in the very ministry that Christ has initiated. He made the good confession first before Pilate. Look what he says there. Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Well, it's the same ministry that we're doing before the world leaders of our of our time. We're making the good confession, just as he did. And just as Jesus certainly had great danger on him. I mean, they killed him. He temptations to deny. He served faithfully. So the one called to serve God makes a confession and commitment to continue Christ's own mission at any personal cost because that's what Christ did. And Christ promises and is committed to his servants and and, and continual fellowship with them. Look also in verse 14. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a future promise here. This is why you should work so faithfully, Paul says. Really to Timothy, but also this applies to all of us. It's important for Timothy to concentrate on on the promise of Christ's return for two reasons, I suppose. 
One is because Christ's return is a promise of relief. Consider that for just a moment. When, when Christ returns, there's going to be a glorious intervention, and it's going to bring help. And secondly, though, it's a note of urgency. It's also it's a call for relief. It's a reminder of relief. Christ is coming again. But it's also a call to urgency. He is coming again. Therefore, we should lead a life, a Christian life, and it must be kept and stay the course until it's finished in all faithfulness because Christ is coming to judge. We should live a life of commitment because Christ is returning. The early Christians lived as if Christ's return would occur during their lifetime. We, for the most part, don't, do we? And we're we're weaker for it. Think think about that for just a moment. Jesus' first disciples sat around and waited. He's coming back. He's coming back any, any moment now. And for the most part, we we don't we we don't expect that at any moment. What if we lived with that type of confident hope of his immediate return? How would that change our lives? Well, Paul transitions with that thought um, into a doxology that he shares here. This is a, a first century doxology that would have um, probably been very common throughout the church. This idea of Jesus' return brings Paul to such joy that he praises God. R- read his words with me. <coughs> Verse 15, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortal, immort, immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal domination. Amen. The, the thought of Christ's return brings Paul in, into... Uh, a, a, a declaration of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God. The God of Christians is the blessed and the only ruler. It's just a, a, a beautiful passage, worshiping God. And so as we finish the week this week, perhaps that's how we should finish as well remembering that we are called to fight the good fight, to take hold of the eternal life, to live with urgency in our Christianity. Because Christ is returning, which will bring both relief but also judgment. Therefore, there's urgency in our lives. God is returning. That should bring us to a moment of of praise. And so let's end the week this week praising God. And let's look forward to Sunday morning when we gather together to worship God collectively as a church body. Singing, come Lord Jesus, come. You alone are sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You alone possess immortality and you dwell in an unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To you alone, God, be honor and eternal domination. 
Amen. Amen. And thanks so much for joining me today. Join me again Monday as we finish up 1 Timothy and begin 2 Timothy. God bless. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Leesburg Daily. Daily.